I'm Jennifer Grayson, and this is the Uncivilized Podcast. Welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. I'm Jennifer Grayson. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. I am now gearing up to go on a quick but uh, really desperately needed two-day desert camping trip with my family. So I hope you don't mind. I'm going to keep it short today. But I did want to share with you a question I received via email this past week because I thought it would be the perfect segue for today's show, which is about naturopathic medicine. Okay, so the email reads... Hi, Jennifer. I listened to the Daniel Vitalis podcast where he interviewed you. She's referring, of course, to Daniel Vitalis of the Rewild Yourself podcast. And I just want to take a moment to say thank you to Daniel for giving our new show such a wonderful shout out on his show last week. He's been such a huge inspiration. Okay, so back to the email. Um, Jennifer, I am currently breastfeeding my 16-month-old and have been having vaginal issues, burning and itching, and have been diagnosed with low estrogen. I am just wondering your thoughts on this as I want to continue to breastfeed, but don't want to have to use estrogen cream. Thanks for your time. So I get a lot of emails along these lines since writing Unlatched, and I have to qualify this, of course, by saying I am not a medical doctor. I obviously can't give medical advice, but I do know two things. The first I know from my work as a journalist in writing that book, uh, I know that mainstream doctors have little to no training in human lactation. I know that they have little to no training in treating health issues so that they don't impair breastfeeding. That's clear because otherwise a doctor treating a breastfeeding mom never would have prescribed estrogen since estrogen has been clearly linked to low milk supply. Um, But the other thing I know from my own personal life dealing with some pretty severe chronic health issues is that Mainstream medicine has little answers for people dealing with those chronic, often complex health issues. And for people maybe like you and and like me who don't want to just take a drug or a hormone and treat the symptoms or who want to get to the root of what's causing the issue or who are concerned that by treating one symptom, uh, you might be creating unknowable consequences for other aspects of your health. And so what I wrote back to her was, Really what I find myself saying a lot to nearly everyone I encounter these days, because let's face it, chronic illness, chronic unwellness is endemic in our modern world. Um, I have three family members who have MS. I have another family member who's had chronic stomach pain since childhood that no doctor has been able to figure out. I was talking to my daughter's teacher the other day, and she told me that she's dealing with debilitating fatigue, can't get pregnant again because of a supposed you know, a hormonal disorder that her OBGYN can't figure out. Um, I myself had a subclinical thyroid disorder that took 10 years of going to physician after physician before I was finally diagnosed by an alternative physician outside of mainstream medicine. So what I say to everyone I know and what I said in my reply to the woman who wrote me this email is, here's what I can say. There are just myriad physiological factors that could be causing your symptoms My personal feeling is that drugs and conventional hormones should be a last resort. And have you thought about going to see a naturopathic doctor? So if you're one of those frustrated patients, or if you're now saying, okay, what the heck is a naturopathic doctor? This show is for you. 
here's what I can also say. Naturopathic medicine has absolutely changed my life. Um, I have an amazing naturopathic doctor who has kept me on the path to wellness in the entire decade since uncovering my hypothyroidism. She is the reason why I think I was able to have a healthy pregnancy and two healthy children. Um, and she has really changed my entire perspective on how we as a society, on how our entire medical system needs to shift its thinking about health and disease. That doctor is my guest today, naturopathic doctor Michelle Gerber. I'm not going to say anything else. I'm going to leave it at that and let Michelle's interview speak for herself because as you will soon hear, not only is she a brilliant, brilliant doctor, she has an amazing personality with a lot to say. So thank you so much for tuning in. And I really hope you not only enjoy this episode of the Uncivilized Podcast, but that you find it really helpful too. Dr. Michelle Gerber is a licensed naturopathic doctor, board-certified naturopathic pediatrician, and a certified professional midwife trained in the art and science of medicine and natural childbirth. Now based in Los Angeles, she grew up in Illinois and graduated from college summa cum laude before attending naturopathic medical school at Bastyr University near Seattle, Washington, where she also received training and certification in midwifery and was the recipient of numerous awards, including the Bechtel, Metagenics, Fred Smart, University, and Bastyr Student Scholarships. She trained extensively in midwifery and pediatrics with Seattle Natural Family Medicine and after naturopathic medical school, traveled to Vanuatu in the South Pacific, delivering babies at a developing hospital before completing a rigorous family practice residency at the National College of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, Oregon. Michelle is passionate about women's health and sustainability, about peace and community, and in naturopathic medicine has found not just a career, but her life's work, merging her activism and a love of science with her love for the earth and its living systems. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jennifer. That sounds really great when you say it all together like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really, it's amazing. And I, I, you know, you've just been such an amazing force in my life since I've moved to LA. And, and I just want to give you a big thank you for everything you've done for me. And also a big thank you <laughs> for doing this interview. Because oh. uh, for our audience, you know, who doesn't know what time this is, it's, it's eight o'clock right now. Uh, on a Friday night, you've had a full week of seeing patients. <laughs> this is when we've found the time to do this interview, right? Yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> well, you're more than welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Thank you so much. So uh, this is an important question. Um, do naturopathic doctors drink wine? Uh, what do they drink they, on a Friday night? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, anyway, what are you I'm drinking right now? now, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sometimes, although at the moment it's just water, but um, yeah, yeah, we do sometimes. I, I probably, uh, well, maybe after. <laughs> Good, yeah. I, I try not to drink while I'm working because then I muddle up my questions. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, I wanted to, to be serious now. I wanted to start off today by hopefully clearing up some of the confusion that I've heard in my own life around naturopathic medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I noticed that there's a lot of verbiage about board certified licensing in your bio, because I, I meet a lot of people when I talk about your incredible work and what a brilliant doctor you are who say, oh, you know, I went to a naturopath and I'm not into that homeopathic stuff. And I'm like, well, no, no, no. This is a real doctor who has more training than most conventional doctors. And, and so I just, I was wondering, how do you describe what you do and how do you describe naturopathic medicine? Right. Well, 
as most things with uh, naturopathic medicine and naturopathic doctors, uh, I will try not to get too wordy about it because we do. I'm so bad at the, like, let me give you that spiel in one one sentence. But basically, what part of that is because naturopathic doctors are so eclectic, and, and that's actually built into the philosophy of naturopathic medicine that we don't, uh, when they sort of um, have tried to outline what makes a naturopathic doctor, even amongst ourselves, one of the things that that you, what we talk about is what unites us as our principles, not necessarily our modalities. So naturopathic doctors use lots of different tools and techniques from traditional medicine and, you know, emerging evidence-based natural therapies. And, we've you know, certainly uh, we're a small profession, but we've been on the front lines of a lot of uh, things that are now becoming more mainstream in terms of, uh, when I can go into some details about what things I mean, but um, but what what makes a naturopathic doctor is not so much which tools we use, but our, our principles, which um, without listing all of them in all their great detail, basically uh, sort of amount to having a different perspective on, on health and disease, looking at the body as, as a system that's constantly trying to heal itself, uh, looking at it as, as a whole picture, not just an elbow or a lung or a whatever it is, um, and and trying to really look at things from a, a I mean, I think a, a, a very sort of interesting and complicated perspective that rather than uh, treating a disease name, we try to treat the underlying physiology. Like why is the why is why is this happening as far back as we can go? I mean, obviously there are some deep lies that we might not be able to assess through, but 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 what's what's the 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 underlying biochemistry and physiology of what's happening so that we can help the body to heal itself. And a naturopathic doctor does uh, get full sort of medical school training. I mean, we do all the ologies, the cardiology and dermatology, and we do cadaver lab. And we do, we, even our first two years, we take the same basic uh, USMLE exams that medical uh, students and conventional medical schools do. But we're also at the same time learning, like we learn all the, the pharmacology and the, the, the pharmacy stuff, and we learn all herbs, and we take uh, considerable uh, uh, courses in nutrition and and uh, and uh, nutrient therapy and orthomolecular uh, study and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, our clinicals are, are, are very rigorous, meaning that we spend a lot of time with patients before, as primary providers with an attending before we even graduate. Um, and then, you know, not every naturopathic doctor, unfortunately, just because of uh, the way the system is set up, gets to do a residency. Uh, but for those of us that did, um, that's an amazing experience. And, you know, I saw lots of patients in lots of different settings. And that was part of the reason I did my residency at, at the one in Portland is because they had a huge community health uh, clinic system where I worked with uh, lots of uh, homeless youth clinics and um, uh, lots of underserved areas with, you know, pediatric services. And it really helped me to hone my skills, not just at, um, you know, sort of diagnosis and treatment, but figuring out how to treat with, you know, not a ton of resources or not being able to use some of the really cool testing that we can do to find out things about genetic variability and the makeup of the colon microbiome, which is awesome. And I, I love doing that, but it's also great to be able to know that I can also work with, uh, you know, traditional and, and, uh, and current natural therapies uh, without having to do all the high tech stuff too. So yeah, um, yeah, we're really, we do a lot of schooling. <laughs> and then for my like board certification in pediatrics, I had to do a whole nother series of 
uh, uh, so anyway, in, in any case, it's a, it's a lot of stuff. And, and, and some people, when they say they see seen a naturopath, they may mean one of two things. They may mean they've seen someone who's not a naturopathic doctor. You can be a naturopath, which can be something like you did a six-week online course from, you know, some sort of college, um, and you can call yourself that. So it may be that someone's seen a naturopath and not a naturopathic doctor, and it may be what I said at the beginning, which is that we're very eclectic. And some naturopathic doctors do a ton of homeopathy. And uh, not that I'm disparaging homeopathy, but it is, you know, there are lots of different kinds of medicine almost within the eclectic uh, sort of reach of naturopathic medicine. Right. But that, but that's what I was driving at. So you've, you've under, you've gone through so much extensive training, um, really even more so than, than a lot of conventional doctors versus, you know, there are people out there who say that there are naturopaths who don't have that kind of training and, and you do. And so I, is it right that you're the only um, certified naturopathic pediatrician in Los Angeles? Did did I read that correctly? I'm aware. Yes. And then there's, we we're you know, we, we tend to, we're a relatively small profession. We tend to know about all of each other. And there are other naturopathic doctors in Los Angeles who see kids um, and the, that designation of board certified in pediatrics is actually a relatively new thing. Um, so uh, just uh, a year ago, I think, I completed the exams for that. So it's it's a pretty new uh, designation. But so yes, as far as I'm aware, I'm the only actually not just someone who sees kids like a you know family practice doc, but but um, specially certified in pediatrics. Yes. Yeah. So you're and you're really doing it all because you also have your midwifery practice as well. Yes, so I deliver babies too, which is, I mean, it's an amazing perspective because I get to, you know, think about and see kids from the the preconception sometimes through, you know, I mean, uh, not that I've, you know, it's through as long as I've been practicing, let's put it that way. So um, that's, I really like that aspect of, of all those pieces of it. it. It's a lot at times, but the the, the benefit, I think, of, of, I don't know, sort of combining that old school family doctor thing where you know the family and you know them, you know, sort of lots of perspectives uh, and have been with them through a major life event and then to be able to continue to provide care is uh, pretty cool. So do you come from a medical family? What made you decide to pursue crazy No, not, at all. Crazy not at all. I mean, not even, uh, uh, not even anything in the sciences. In my, my, my mom, what, what people, when people ask me that, like, was there a, you know, uh, I'm like, well, I can't really find anyone in my family who did really anything medical. Um, but I have a ton of teachers in my family. And I think part of the, if there is a, a family legacy or, or something involved in what I do, I think, you know, naturopathic medicine is much more of a, I would argue, a, an educational sort of form of medicine. It's very important to me that my patients understand why I'm telling them to do something on the, the, the most, you know, sort of uh, deepest level I can explain it to them and that they uh, they they understand what we're, what we're trying to accomplish and what that would mean and what the journey is going to look like. And I, I I love that aspect of it, honestly. I mean, I never considered becoming a conventional doctor. I never even, I loved science. Oh, that's what years. I was going like, to ask. So you never yeah, considered no, never. that route. And I, I was actually studying to be an immunologist and, and microbiologist. I was doing a double major in, in um, uh, my undergrad. And then I mean, I grew up in sort of semi-rural Illinois, so I didn't know a natural anything. Like, I didn't know that existed. So I didn't have really a frame of reference there. I just knew I didn't want to do conventional medicine. And I I couldn't have even at the time probably really explained in great detail why. I just was not drawn to it at all, even though 
I mean, this is how big of a nerd I am. I was in, there was an extra. <laughs> in the best possible extra, way, though. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. There's an, there was extracurricular activity at my high school that basically amounted to test taking. And I, I went to state in test taking for biology. Like I, I loved, I loved it always, but I never, I, like I say, I was, I was going to do immunology and, and microbiology. I thought maybe I'd go work with the CDC and study diseases or something. And then I was at an anti-sweatshop conference in New York and some random person whose name or face I have no recollection of now, somehow we got onto the topic of medicine. They were telling me about naturopathic medicine and I was like, I'm sorry, wait, what? And went home and looked it up and I have this sort of memory of like the angel choirs descending on me and my computer as I like look this stuff up and I was like, that is it. I did not even know that was a thing I was looking for. And anyway, from there it was a snowball. I changed to like pre med within a week. I was like going out and visiting the schools and uh yeah, went straight from undergrad to best year. So I it was love at first knowledge of <laughs> um yeah. Well, actually, we haven't even talked about that yet. Did you have this innate love for the natural world for, you know, were to you... To some extent, yes. I mean, I like I say, I, I, I grew up in a family that certainly, I mean, it was fairly typical uh, in terms of, you know, the 80s, Midwest. I mean, I, you know, like, I mean, sorry, mom, if you ever listened to this, no disparagement meant you were an amazing cook and I love you very much, but um, if you ever hear this, but, you know, like a can of peas was kind of like, that was a big vegetable, right? So um, I, but I did love, I definitely was always outside and always loved being out in nature and always had like, my parents were always afraid I was going to get bitten by something because I was like, look at this crazy spider that's on my arm. And they were like, ah, oh. like, what? <laughs> so I, I definitely have always been, you know, involved and interested in the natural world, just not really from a health perspective per se, until I knew that was a thing that one could be like, I didn't, I, I feel like I, I, I was, that, that definitely opened my eyes that there was even an alternative option. And now I've been involved in it so long, I sort of, when I get out of my bubble and I, I think about how so much of, at least the, the U.S., you know, is, is, doesn't have any sort of concept of that. It's, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's interesting and it's, it's, you know, a little sad and it, and a little inspiring in the sense that I, a lot of, a lot of what I do, maybe it's partly why I chose to do what I do because I've definitely always, I don't know, uh, chosen like, I don't know if the word is right, like the, the underdog, the activist in me that's like, you know, whatever needs to be, I'm, 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 I, I complain sometimes about how it's, oh, it's always a struggle, but I always choose the struggle. So <laughs> that's, that's I do too. Me. I get it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so but, but it's a part of a large part of my job is that, especially where I am, and you, even in Los Angeles, most people don't know what it is that I am or what it is that I do. Outside of, I would say, Seattle and Portland and maybe a, you know, a couple of other places, it's where there are naturopathic doctors on every corner there. Um, outside of there, it's, it's still a, big educational campaign, not just for my patients, but for everyone around me to even understand or know what I am. So um, that it's not, it it hasn't uh, changed all that much. (laughs) I mean, in some ways it has, but, but from, from, uh, and, and, you know, like I say, all my family now knows very much about it and they're very excited about it and all that. But, um, but yeah, growing up, I certainly had no, my, honestly, I remember now I've, I've tried to sort of think back when my first sort of foray into anything non-conventional in terms of medicine. And I was really, um, you know, sort of uh, fascinated and you know, repelled in a way about the, the idea of like antibiotic resistance. I remember that being a, like, I think I did a report on it in, I don't know, junior high or early high school or something. And just 
really thinking, you know, this is a huge problem. Like, this is a really big deal. And we're like, what, what's being done about this? And, uh, and uh, long before I knew that there was other ways to, to treat things besides just, you know, uh, antibiotics, I was, um, that was probably one of my first realizations that something was not right here. <laughs> um, yeah, especially when I think about my childhood. I mean, I was—I grew up the same era you did, and I, I just remember being on antibiotics a lot. You oh, know? me too. Constantly. Yeah, like, I mean, I was, like, I was sort of a pink stuff every child. Time. Like, I was, mm-hmm, yep, pink stuff, bubblegum, <laughs> flavored uh, thick liquid. I can remember, recall the taste of it now. I mean, it's, yeah, that was a huge part of my childhood, actually. and. Uh, I, yeah, and, 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 you know, perhaps part of why when I realized that there was something maybe not great about that, that I was kind of, a, I don't know, a bit appalled at, at how much I'd been sort of exposed to that. Um, yeah, and it's interesting because I come to my interest in this whole area from the sick side of it because I was not a well person and, you know, right. went to conventional doctor after conventional doctor and just got so frustrated. And then that's how I came to this whole world. So, for me, it's just it's just been so fascinating. Um, and you getting back to before what you were saying about being in Los Angeles, and it's it is so astonishing that more people aren't knowledgeable about naturopathic medicine here. That's one of you people always think LA is this place that's like super healthy, and you know people are into yoga, and but but the like everyday people. I mean, I do not meet a lot of people who are really into this stuff, you know? So I'm just kind of interested, like who are the patients who are coming to see you in LA? Do you have a typical patient? I mean, I, I see women, I see women and children the most because I'm, you know, do pediatrics and midwifery. And so I love fertility. I see, you know, people preconceptional care and then they have their babies and then I see their babies and that's amazing. But I see folks for all different conditions. I mean, basically anything except I do a lot of cancer work or really deep detox, like IV chelation kind of stuff. I don't really do that. But I see folks for just about any other condition. And, you know, part of that has to do with the fact that for naturopathic doctors, we use the terminology like the word diabetes or migraines or whatnot. But we, because we're looking at sort of underlying physiology and deeper things, I I use those terms so I can communicate with folks, both other practitioners and, and the patients themselves, because that's the way we've all kind of been trained in this culture. But me, you know, and to anyone really who does naturopathic medicine, I could have 12 people walk into my office who had diabetes and they're all going to get different treatment plans. I don't think I've ever written a, a, the same treatment plan for anything in my entire career. So it's, I mean, they'll have things that overlap, but the the actual complete plan itself is different for every person. So I, I see folks for, you know, some of those underlying issues kind of overlap. There's a lot of uh, things with modern issues that we all sort of deal with, uh, inflammation, uh, dysregulated stress responses, uh, um, all, all sorts of uh, microbiome issues. And those are all things that, that underlie a lot of uh, different named conditions. So that's one answer to that question. Another answer to that question is uh, sort of the you know, socioeconomic demographic kind of what kind of patients come to me in that way. And I think, right. you know, that... Uh, <laughs> It's complicated by a lot of factors, obviously, that I don't necessarily have time to. I'll go into the medical history of the United States, but um, <laughs> I could if we had we'll a longer time. On, totally, yeah. Yeah, we'll have you back on the show for that one. <laughs> That's another of my nerdly uh, <laughs> occupations: is reading medical history, which is fascinating. But, anyways, um, so I, 
so, you know, I, I do tend to, for my sort of average patients, be slightly more affluent, although, you know, not maybe so much as you would think. I mean, a lot of people do, who see me prioritize their health in a way that um, allows them to maybe spend a little more on that because they see it as more integral to the rest of their lives. And I think that that's, that's one sort of personality trait that might bring someone into my door is that they really prioritize health and, and see it preventatively as opposed to just waiting until something bad happens and then trying to treat it retroactively. Um, and so, so, but, but because, you know, every state in the U S is different in terms of insurance in California, there are no insurance companies that directly contract with naturopathic doctors. Not that we would necessarily want to enter into that world as it exists now, because it really reduces doctors to um, like cogs in a machine. Like you have to see patients quickly in the insurance model. Um, but it does really limit access when, uh, you know, patients can't use insurance for seeing me. Although, again, I would be reimbursed ridiculously low for uh, the kind of time I spend with patients, you know, spend a whole hour with a patient, which is really different than spending five minutes with them and, and not knowing much about them other than the name of their condition and then therefore what drug is going to be best for that condition. Not to, I won't get into, I have lots of conventional doctors I who are friends and colleagues, and I think there's a lot of benefit in aspects of conventional medicine, but I also think it's very limited in a lot of ways. Um, and, and very and by the way, there, sorry to interrupt you, but there are a lot of conventional doctors now I'm seeing who are no longer taking insurance Correct. because they need to have that time to yep. spend with patients, and you just have to submit yourself to get reimbursed because yep. even conventional doctors are getting fed up with this. And it's like, how can you yeah. treat someone in five minutes? Absolutely. And the insurance model really encourages that kind of cookbook medicine where you just you know, follow the line on the, the flow chart to this medicine is for this, this word and that's it. And we just, you know, which is not very good medicine, actually. It's, uh, you can't really treat a complex human being with a, a sort of a simple algorithm that, that is, uh, designed to sort of fit all, all things that fit under the category of this particular named diagnosis. So, and a lot of docs, yeah, are, are really chafing against that. In fact, you know, the medical profession in general is, <laughs> relatively depressed. Like a lot of doctors don't like what they like when they do studies about like how satisfied are medical doctors with what they do. Uh, it's pretty low. Um, they don't really like the kind of, of care that they're giving a lot of times, um, but they don't see an alternative, especially in the sense that, you know, again, what I talked about before about the principles sort of guiding naturopathic medicine, not so much the modality, that can link all kinds of providers. Like it, it even even providers who are using different tools kind of have that same philosophy. And I think it would really change a lot of even conventional medicine, more so even than necessarily thinking about like what exact tool they're using if they use the tools differently. Um, so tangent there, but I, I think that, you know, a, a lot of docs, um, well, I, what I was going to get to is that the insurance model really limits even what you can prescribe. Like they won't allow this thing to be prescribed, only that thing. Like it's a very, it, it, anyway. So, but the downside of that not being able to be in the insurance world is that it does limit access for folks. I do run a low cost clinic once a month where I see patients, um, you know, for like 20 bucks basically for a visit. And I wish I could do more of that. Um, but it at least uh, I, for a long time, I felt really, uh, like I was missing that and I really wanted to do something in that realm, but I could never do as much as I wanted. So I didn't do anything. And then finally, I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm just going to take like one, one, you know, start with one morning a month and just do this thing in the littlest that I feel like capable of doing right now. And eventually, you know, I'll be, I do believe I'll be able to put more energy and time and money and things into that. But, but I, you know, so I do see patients who um, can't afford to do the, like I said before, like the fancy tests and the, 
expensive supplements that sometimes people end up equating with uh, natural medicine, which, by the way, they're actually cheaper than antibiotics. They're just not covered by insurance. So right. <laughs> a lot of this is a, is a relative sort of expense issue. And, and a lot of folks, again, who sort of prioritize health think about it as, you know, I'm preventing a lot of really expensive things down the road, including loss of work and loss of time with my family and all these things because I'm taking care of myself. So um, that's that's a, a part of the the, the uh, sort of demographic I see too, certainly as folks who are, like I say, sort of thinking more, um, more even holistically about like their family and their community and how can I just be healthier. And I do also, I, one other sort of big chunk of who I see are folks who are dissatisfied with the kind of care they've received before, like that they feel really uh, uh, disbelieved or they feel really kind of just pushed around and bounced from, you know, specialist to specialist with no real sort of uh, connection or relationship or listening truly to what they're actually saying as opposed to sort of, you know, looking at the numbers and deciding that there's nothing wrong with them and they should just, you know, it's all in their head or whatever it is. Right, um, right. And I certainly a lot of that too. And, and, and not necessarily that that's any individual doctor's fault. Again, I think there's a lot of, um, it's difficult to do those sorts of things within the confines of, of current conventional medicine. It is. And, I, you know, just what I will add for our listeners too, is when, when I first saw you just to get to that issue of cost, I mean, I was like, you know, in my 20s, a struggling freelancer, my husband was unemployed, like what you offer, <laughs> there are a lot of fancy doctors in LA who are really charging way more than they should. And what you offer is an amazing value. Um, and it's not as high cost as people would think. Right. So I just want to add that <laughs> as, especially when you consider like what it does cost when you end up being hospitalized for something sure. or, you know, lo the long-term costs of things. Right. So I mean, it's like um, midwifery care where, you know, I mean, and not to, you know, different practices do different things, but, a, you know, an average cost of, of a midwifery service is about for everything, I mean, all the prenatal care, the birth itself, the postpartum, is about a quarter of what an unmedicated hospital birth costs. Just the birth, um, not the not the prenatal, and we don't have any postpartum care in this country. In in, a, in sort of obstetrics, which don't even get me started on that. But um, that's uh, yeah. Other than your six weeks <laughs> checkup, yeah, um, yeah, that's uh, uh, which is ludicrously under uh, caring for people. Um, but uh, that that so. It's, it's a fraction of the cost. Um, it's just, you know, again, the perspectives of, of how we think about uh, where where we put our money and, and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say, too, one of the things I like about how you treat, and I don't know if this is indicative of a lot of naturopathic doctors, but you also give a lot of options. So, like, there have been times when sure. I've come in and you've said, well, we could run this, like, really expensive high-tech allergy panel, or we could start with, like, an elimination diet and you can try this. Or, like, you give a lot of options. Is that something that is just that, you know, you're conscious of, or is that something that all naturopathic doctors are? And, you know, I, I don't know if you can speak right, for all I mean, naturopathic I, I, doctors. I can speak for our training. I can't necessarily say how people are individually practicing in their offices, but that certainly is an aspect of our training. I think I'm sort of hyper aware of that in, in I mean, I, I have conversations with my patients all the time where I'll say, you know, another difference, not that I, I hate to define ourselves by our difference, but that's, that's you know, people's frame of reference is conventional medicine in the U.S. So it, sort of comes back to that more often perhaps than I'd like. But, it, you know, another difference is that when there's one or two options, which a, a classic example of that is, you know, an, an antibiotic or, or even I would say what comes up more for me is birth control. Like a lot of patients for their um, hormonal issues, which is, that is a big giant category ball of stuff when I say hormonal issues, they're 
oftentimes they're, the only treatment they're offered is birth control. And now that may be an appropriate treatment for some people for certain conditions, but that certainly is not the best treatment for everyone who has hormonal issues. And so just to stop you yeah. for a second, you're talking about people who have like, say, endometriosis yeah. or all over the place. Um, uh, all over the place, irregular cycles, PMS, uh, and fibroids. I mean, so, so, um, uh, even, uh, premenopausal symptoms. Uh, it, it, sometimes there are, I mean, I could go on and on and on, like, so menstrual migraines, uh, I mean, really, like, kind of like that. And sometimes they'll, because antidepressants get offered for just about everything, then sometimes that'll be an option too. But there's, there's this, this sort of, um, and I have many people who come to see me after having, you know, experienced that and they're like, oh, that's all they, and then when I was like, that didn't work, I, I didn't like the way I felt on that, that didn't work for me, I don't want to do that for this, that, and the other reason, they just sort of like blankly stared at me and were like, well, I, that's, that is what it, I have. <laughs> and, you know, in, in my world, I always say my problem is the opposite. I have like, because we draw on all these traditional, uh, um, uh, systems and we, we, we incorporate so many different, as I've said before, naturopathic medicine, I think of as kind of like the eclectic doctor of the sort of, um, I don't know, natural, holistic, alternative, whatever you want to call it, world. So we have lots of options. Um, it's just that uh, I, my job, one of my many jobs, I say, is to sort of sift through all that and decide what's going to be the best plan for you right now in this moment, given your constitution and genetics and ex environmental exposures and all these sorts of things. So yeah, there's lots of options and, and, and options in terms of treatment. And also, as you pointed out, options in terms of that sort of harkens back to the educational piece. I'm always talking with patients about like, look, there isn't, there isn't like the perfect answer. Here are, we could go down these different roads and here are the pros and cons of them. I'm, all of these, I think are medically sound. I'm not going to tell you some random, like, I don't know, something that has no, no basis in fact. But if, if I feel like there are different options that have different benefits, I always involve the patient in making that decision because it's not a, I'm not, I, I have a lot of information, but the patient knows their body and their circumstance better than anybody. And for me to assume that I, you know, not only have all the information about the kinds of treatment, but what is going to be doable in their life, what's going to be, you know, uh, something that, that, uh, you know, they've, maybe they've gone through treatments for years and years and years, and they know a lot of stuff about how their body reacts to things. I, I think that's invaluable information and it, it has to be a part of any, uh, you know, successful treatment plan and any successful therapeutic relationship, which lots of studies have said is one of the most important things in medicine in terms of outcomes. You can use lots of different tools, but if you have a good therapeutic relationship with your patient, it's going to work better, which is, um, uh, you know, sort of speaks to the fact that, uh, you know, uh, placebo is actually not necessarily a bad thing. If a patient with their mind can change things for the better for themselves, <laughs> that's amazing. We should actually like tap into that and use that. And that also has a lot to do like with that relationship that you form with the provider and actually make whatever they suggest work better in many, many studies. And they weren't necessarily looking at alternative providers in most of those studies. They were just looking at the sort of, um, different kinds of therapies that are, uh, a lot of them were looking at more uh, in the conventional world, but it's, it was fascinating. And I think, you know, certainly complements what naturopathic doctors have already said for a long time, which a lot of medicine is being with a person in a difficult space, recognizing it, acknowledging it, and, and sort of walking with them on that journey to get out of that difficult space or transmute it or whatever it is that that means. But, you know, having knowledge and tools makes that, makes, makes me or people like me the kind of person that can walk with them because we have options to give, but um, that walking through has a huge impact on, on healing.
It does. It does. And so that leads me right to my next question. Can you, is, do you have a method for how you walk a patient through that journey? So it like, let's say someone comes in with um, hormonal issues, or let's say someone comes in like, I, you know, I have a family member who's had chronic stomach pain Mm -hmm. for most of her, most of her life. Like, do you have a methodology? Is it individual for each patient? I mean, the, the, the things I start off with are pretty universal. I, listen to their story first and foremost in several ways. Like I have them fill out a what everybody thinks of as a way too detailed intake form. And then uh then I I'm like, yep, okay, so I look through that and now I want to hear you tell me the story. Because a lot of them I'll get different information. In fact almost always. Not like contradictory, but just it, it gets uh both ways of telling things sort of yield things to me. So I'll have them tell me the story. That's like the first visit I have with them. I'll ask some questions to fill in gaps that I feel like I have a you know, a, a sort of flow form that I follow to make sure that I'm not missing anything. And oftentimes, because, you know, if someone comes to see me for X condition, um, they're thinking about that condition. And I'm thinking the way that I individualize a plan, the way that I decide whether it's, you know, this, this treatment or that treatment, like I was talking about earlier, I have lots of options. A lot of the, what goes into my deciding is these other little things that they have going on. Like, a, I don't know, an example would be, this is extremely simplified, but let's say someone's coming in with migraines and, oh, by the way, they often also happen to have a little mild constipation and occasional leg cramps at night. And so while there are lots of treatments for migraines, I'm immediately thinking magnesium because those other things are also things that can be a result of magnesium, not, not maybe not true deficiency, but suboptimal magnesium, let's say. And so those things led me to say, out of all the things I could have done for migraines, that might be the, the thing that's going to work the best for them. So it's, so I ask all sorts of things about, so I get to know the whole person. And sometimes it's information that doesn't end up helping me, but sometimes it can be really valuable. And then I'll usually have them do um, a little bit of homework for me, either getting me records from past labs, maybe doing some, you know, uh, either conventional or functional type labs. Like a functional lab just means something that's looking at the function of something as opposed to um, conventional labs, which I run all the time, but are things like are what's your, uh, you know, what does your cholesterol look like? What's your blood sugar? What's your, um, what's your, uh, something called the CBC? It looks at your red and white blood cells. And then functional labs are things like, um, what does, what's the good bacteria status in your colon looking at, right? Like right now, like what's the pattern of all, we can't test all of them, but what's the pattern of different bacteria there? Or, um, what's the, uh, food allergy testing is an interesting and, and sort of intricate and complicated little world because there's lots of ways to test it. But, possibly testing some less conventional routes of, of food allergy testing, that sort of thing. Um, sometimes we do that, sometimes we don't. Uh, and I, like I said, I'll usually have them do some homework. I have this little survey thing that I sometimes have them do or a food journal, that kind of stuff. And then I do this, uh, I get all the information and I, I, I tell them in the first visit, this is how it's going to go. I'm going to get all this stuff back from you. And when I have whichever is the rate limiting step here in our chemical equation, whichever is the last piece of this puzzle that comes into my hand, I lay it all out. I like literally pull up a chair and use the like counter behind my desk and spread out all that stuff, everything that I've gotten from them and everything that we've talked about. And I sort of, I, I make a, I have my own sort of method of sort of uh, uh, getting, getting what's in my brain out on paper. And I think about like, what, how does all this, it may not all connect, but there are definitely connections. Um, and I use metaphors a lot with my patients too. I'll say things like, all right, so you know, you've seen a lot of docs and you've treated these things sort of separately. And part of what they've done is they've looked for the smoking gun. Like they've looked for like the one big thing that's causing all this. And they haven't found like a thing, like a, you are hypothyroid, you are whatever this is. Um, but what if it's not like a giant hole in the dam? What if it's like six tiny holes? 
And maybe over time you've plugged up one hole here or one hole over there. And maybe you got like 10% better. Who can see 10%? You had no idea that you were any better. Maybe you were like, today is just a good day or ish day. <laughs> but if we plug up all five holes, six, whatever I just said, at the same time, then there's no more water coming through the dam. We fixed the problem. So sometimes we have to think about things more um, comprehensively or synergistically because we're complex people and we don't usually have like one thing that caused the problem or the problems. It's oftentimes lots of little things that have added up together to create this issue. And if we can't think about things physiologically and, and emotionally and all the other aspects that play into it, then we get stuck in just looking for that big hole as opposed to how did our body get off track and how can we help it to get back on the track. So can you give me an example of what you're talking about? Sure. Is there anything off yeah, the top of your think, head? Those, um, someone who comes in with those pieces. Right. Um, well, um, I mean, honestly, I do, it is basically how I do it with almost every patient, unless, the, well, there's a few exceptions. But if they're coming to see me for concerns and conditions, as opposed to I'm basically well and I want to think about how to be the best I can be before I have a baby or something like that. That's a little different. Right, which I, I know you see a lot yeah, of those I patients. Do. I was one of those patients. Yeah. yeah, I love, actually, I really love that. I'm always like, oh, oh, I'm so glad to see you at this point because, and I will answer your question, but I will take a moment to just say, I love preconception care so much. And of course, it's not always possible, but if we have the ability to work on that stuff before we get pregnant, there is, outside of breastfeeding, that's probably the second, or you know, give or take biggest gift we can give to our child's long-term health, which is, you know, the family health, which is the population health, which is, I'm always like, oh, yes, let's start even before they're conceived, because there's this amazing sort of window that happens in the first, like, two months to three months of embryonic development that is a very plastic time. Like, we used to think about our DNA, our genes as being very stagnant, like it is, it is what it is, like our DNA is just our DNA. But it is pretty well accepted now that there's a lot of DNA is more like a blueprint that can kind of be crossed out and some of it can be added to little squiggles in the margin. And some things can be erased. And there's a whole field of medicine around that called epigenetics. Um, and, you know, things get added and taken away. Certain genes turned on and turned off. And the biggest time of plasticity is perinatally, especially in those first couple of months. So if we can do a lot of great stuff for our health in the, in the couple of months leading up to conception, which is really what will set the environment for those couple first months of embryonic development, we've done just like an amazing thing. Like we've really, you know, uh, given a great gift to our children uh, to be able to um, to give them a great start in that way. So anyway, that's just the thing I really like to do. So I had to talk about By the way, I'm fine going off on that tangent. I mean, as you know, I have a lot to say about <laughs> breastfeeding and, you know. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, prenatal education. So But yes, back to your, your question about the example. Um, so if someone's having a difficulty with weight management, for example, like they're, they feel like they've, they, you know, they've tried everything they know how to try. They're exercising. They're, you know, eating right as far as they know and all these things. And or maybe they really are. Maybe they're doing all those things as right as we know how to do them at this point, which, you know, those, that information sometimes changes over time, but that, let's say they are, and they're, 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 you know, they've been tested for big stuff, like, or they want to be tested for the big stuff, and of course I will. Um, I always think that's so funny how, well, I guess it's an insurance thing again. People will tell me all the time that my doctor wouldn't test me for this thing. I'm like, I, if you want to pay for it, I'm, which, you know, to the lab, I will test you for anything you want. Like, that doesn't, <laughs> I will always tell you when I think something's necessary or not, but anyway. They want to be tested there, for you know, just as a side note, I will say there's a lot of there's a lot of arrogance from conventional yeah. doctors when patients come in and they say, "I want this, I want that," and the doctor's like, oh, 
you read about that on the internet, didn't you? You know, right, and right. that's which of that's, does sometimes happen, and I have to do patient education too. But I always say, look, I don't think this is relevant for you because of X, Y, and Z. But if you want me to run it anyway, uh, what it's your money and your body, and what do I care? Like I, I won't run it for you. It's just I, I don't. If you're if you're trying to prioritize where you put your time and money, I wouldn't put it there. But that's you know, but but I'll always explain why. Like what the and if they you know have good reasons for why they think they want to test it, then of course I'll test it. Even if they don't have good reasons. <laughs> um, so, I, let's see, where was I going? Oh, right. So, so, so somebody with weight management. Maybe. So we checked it to see if they're hypothyroid. Nope, their thyroid per, looks, looks, you know, conventionally perfectly fine. And they don't have diabetes. And maybe they get checked for one or two other things. And then they're like, well, that's, you know, uh. um, <laughs> the, the shrug. Um, so I always tell them, you know, I will look if it hasn't been already looked for, for some of those big smoking guns. But a lot of times, once you get me all this information, I'm going to see things like, oh, I actually think there's quite a bit of uh, inflammation as a big, big bad guy in modern Western society. So I think there's actually a lot of inflammation going on here. I think that your, um, you know, your, your, uh, just throwing, your, your thyroid looks fine conventionally, but it is actually like a little suboptimal. And while I don't think that means that that's causing all your problems, there could be a piece of that that's contributing to it. And oh, by the way, I also think that, uh, your given the fact that you've had a you know, mild IBS on and off that you know your um the 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 bacteria in your gut there's actually again naturopaths have been saying this for a long time but there's a lot of research now about <laughs> that being a big part of weight resistance is actually a, an out of in certain directions an out of balance microbiome um and so the you know so and if, if you and let's say this person had tried some of those things along the way but I was like but that's not it's not like one thing is causing this problem. And and once we also once we um, once we uh, attain extra adipose tissue, extra fat tissue that's made up of cells. Like each one of those things is a cell, and they are they secrete their own hormones. They are trying to maintain their existence. So if we don't address that aspect of it, that hormonal aspect that they are actually secreting their own hormones, you're just sort of you're you're putting fuel on the fire sometimes because a lot of what I and naturopathic medicine sees as being an, a, a large part of many of our health issues, chronic health issues now, is this sort of biological dissonance between what our physiology is adapted best for and the kinds of environments that we're putting it into now. And it hasn't changed that much in terms of its uh, adaptive uh, mechanisms. Like, for example, um, and I'm going off on this tangent because of what I was saying about uh, weight management and how if we don't address those sort of hormonal aspects of it, uh, it that, that it's just going to fuel the fire. Because, for example, when, when, our, when we are stressed, one of the things that happens is we secrete cortisol. Cortisol is our, one of our main stress hormones. And when cortisol goes up, it does a lot of stuff, including, oh, fun things like, Taking one of our thyroid hormones and converting it into a sort of opposite uh, hormone that it usually does. It's called reverse T3 instead of regular T3. And so it's it's trying to help our body to conserve it. Low, that that reverse T3 uh, lowers our metabolism in a sense. Like it. Yeah. So it there's an evolutionary reason. Sorry to interrupt you, yes. but there there is yes. an evolutionary reason why these things do happen. Uh, perfect reason. If, if, if the people who didn't have that cortisol telling them to hold on to calories in a stressful situation would have not survived because almost all 
stressful situations, you know, involved some kind of caloric restriction, whether it was migration or famine or drought or war or any of those things, there was going to be uh, fewer calories available. So it, it's extremely adaptive and, and necessary, uh, you know, in that environment. But in the current environment, where we have kind of different sorts of stressors, our stressors are uh, tend to be uh, more persistent and chronic as opposed to big and short-lived, and we respond to them, and then we discharge, and then we move on. We're, they kind of, again, I could speak for an hour about stress, but stress, modern stress is very, um, uh, it, it behaves very differently, or our body tries to behave in the way that it is tuned to evolutionarily, but it, it's maladaptive now, actually, in a lot of ways. Like we, we, in, in that cortisol example, we change our metabolism, we hold on to the calories. That's exactly the opposite of what we wanted to do in that situation. We were stressing our body out in some way in the hopes of losing those calories. So it's, it's a, we have to look at all those little aspects when, when, when I'm treating someone because if we don't, then again, it's going to be like marginally successful and they'll think none of the things were helpful. If it only gets like, you know, 10% better, this happens all the time too. Someone say, oh, I tried, you know, whatever, fish oils or something for a thing. I'll be like, yeah, but you tried it all by itself. And probably that maybe, maybe helped like, you know, 10%, but you can't see 10%. So we need to plug up all five of those holes, not just that one. Um, and, and then we'll see real movement. So I, I, I oftentimes, I, I've even had patients who kind of did everything that I'm going to do. I'm like, yeah, but you see in this way and in this togetherness aspect of it, because we have to think about those. I mean, I honestly, I think about those, uh, those sort of adaptive and, and evolutionary aspects all the time when I'm seeing a patient because a lot of stuff results from our body trying to do what it, uh, you know, to anthropomorphize it, what it thinks is right. <laughs> but the environment is really different. And we're, we're creating a lot of, um, like I say, biological dissonance, like in, in between those things, like cognitive dissonance for our brain, but this is for our physiology. Right. And so, and so you mentioned, cause we're talking about obesity and, and how we're wired from an evolutionary perspective. Like, do you have a nutrition philosophy? Is it, is there a one kind of overarching? <laughs> no, not really. I mean, I, I giggle. Because... I know people in this world, cause I ask because, you know, people in this world automatically, there's like, oh, you know, paleo, that's like. If, paleo if or vegan or, you know, oh, believe yeah. me, there's a million different. I mean, and then in LA, of course, you've got like even the oh. crazier stuff, you know, I'm oh, sure yeah. you see. Oh, but I was. And, you know, it's all. Yeah, I've been having juice for two weeks and yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so no, I don't. And I, I, I. The only, honestly, the only thing I would say that is universal is the sort of, uh, I don't know, Michael Pollan thing, which is, you know, whole foods, l low processed, uh, mostly plants, but I don't, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm neither, I'm neither vegan nor paleo, even though I do tend to recommend a lot of plants and I do tend to recommend, uh, lower, uh, uh, certainly low simple carbohydrates. I mean, one of the things that, that uh, a lot of um, medical anthropologists and uh, which I love that field, by the way. Oh, medical anthropologists. Oh, me so too. Excited. We're going to have one um, on the show, actually. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. That a lot of medical anthropologists talk about how, you know, if we look back at different societies who have seemed to be, you know, however we define it, relatively healthy and long lived and all these things, um, their diets have, they're, they're diverse. Like some of them are, you know, mostly fish and some of them are mostly plant and some of them are, you know, whatever. So there's, there's been different, uh, one thing they all definitely had in common was none of them had like refined sugar. Like that was not a thing <laughs> in any of these. And we, we really struggle with that in, in our culture because so much that, that, that does so much to our, it's so potent. Like our ancestors used to have, they think maybe like, I mean, are just ancestors, maybe like two spoons of sugar in a year. 
and the average American, I don't remember what the stat is now, but it's like 40 pounds, pounds or something like yeah. that sugar in a year. So it's a, and it's such a potent molecule. Like we, it, it, it triggers all sorts of hormonal responses. So, um, so that, yeah, sure. Low sugar, whole food, non-processed, uh, uh, you know, uh, but, but, and I draw plates a lot of times for patients where I'm like, so half of this plate should be vegetables. When you really add, like write down what you're eating for a day and see that you, you got to work at that. Like in, in our culture, it's very hard to, to, you know, to really realize that. And then because people say like, oh yeah, I eat vegetables, whatever. And then I like have them all write it out. I'm like, okay, now put the volume on the plate, like where you think about how much. And we're like, oh yeah, that's, that's not nearly half. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that aspect of things, um, I think is universal, but I don't, I do use certain, I hate the word diet for different patients, certainly, um, because I do think there are medics, like, there's a difference between what I think the average healthy person should be doing for prevention and long-term health and all that, and a person who has a particular, you know, health concern or condition. Like, I will use food medicinally all the time. I mean, that's basically with everybody. But so I might recommend a different food plan for a while for someone in, in response to a health issue they're dealing with. But in terms of do I think everybody should eat X, Y, or Z, you know, named diet? No, I don't have. Yeah, but the, I, I, I think that's refreshing to hear, by the way. <laughs> we in America, we just love that, like, one size fits all, tell us everything. Yep. And, yep, you know, yep, that, yep. which oh, makes gosh, me... That, the, oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say that it makes me think another medical history thing that just always cracks me up is, the, is that exact thing. Like, we discover something and we're like, oh, my gosh, x-ray everybody should be x-rayed all the time. Let's x-ray, like just constantly. And then we're like, oh, all those people who did that got thyroid cancer. Dang. Um, so we, we get very excited about like everybody should do this thing for, you know, all the time now. Um, and it never really works out very well. So uh, I don't even know where to, because there's so much I want to ask you. I'm going to have to have you back on the show because we're running, <laughs> we're running out of time. Um, but I, I did want to ask you, this is mostly for selfish reasons, because we've been talking about people who have chronic conditions, but what about people in your well visit practice? And as mm -hmm. I'd love to ask you just about your pediatric practice, like mm -hmm. what, what can a patient or even, you know, for your family practice for a well checkup and what can a patient expect with you versus like if they choose you for their regular doctor versus going to a conventional pediatrician or a conventional right. internist? Right. That's something you do, um, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, I do, you know, the well-child visits. And in my capacity as a midwife, I do, you know, prenatal visits, which are midwives are experts in normal, natural childbirth and pregnancy. So, you know, for the most part, you know, there are minor variations, of course. But, yes, that's all well stuff. And I do well woman care. So, I I mean, I love that stuff, actually. Um, I mean, I like the sort of detectiveness and, and then the being with someone as they're, you know, sort of figuring out uh, what the next stage of their journey is in terms of health conditions. But I love the wellness stuff. It's um, and, and the difference, like, as a concrete example, uh, if I'm seeing a pediatric patient for a well-child visit, we do the same schedule, you know, two months, four months, six months, nine months, and the same kind of thing you'd see for a conventional pediatrician. And we do the basic same stuff. I'm getting their height and their weight and listening to their lungs and measuring their head circumference. And, you know, but all that takes, like, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes, basically. Um, and then the rest of the time, I'm doing two things, really simple things, but they take up the rest of the time. One of them is that I give all patients when they come in a, a, a handout uh, specific to that child's age with different, the topics are always the same. It's like 
sleep, nutrition, safety, uh, psychosocial stuff. And, and I, I, you know, but I have different things to say about different age groups, little, just, um, kind of the basics. And then I will say, you know, sometimes they get a chance to hopefully look through that before they come back in and they say, do you have questions about that? Are there things about that we can talk about more? I'll pick things out of there that I think are extremely important to understand at that time frame or for that child, if I, you know, if I know them well. And so I provide that sort of, um, preventative knowledge uh, and, uh, and I don't know, sort of thinking about uh, the broader aspects of their health than they would necessarily if they were just, you know, getting their height and their weight and their lungs listened to and all that stuff. And then I'm, I'm asking them, you know, okay, share your list. I was <laughs> like, what's your list? What's your, what are all the questions you wrote down that you wanted to bring in, that you wanted to talk about? Um, and most of the time, they're, they're about, uh, well, okay, in the first couple of years, they're mostly about sleep or <laughs> or sometimes breastfeeding or nutri- food and Right, from the parents. Sort of the questions are yeah, coming exactly. from the parents. Yeah, yeah. And then, and, you know, a lot of the, the and, and, and that brings up another aspect, which is that I, I also have patients who, of course, because, you know, they're, insurance covers their, you know, MD pediatrician or whatever, they'll see them for the all the height and the weight and the lung listen and all that stuff. And then they'll actually come to see me separately, maybe not quite as often, but at, at regular intervals to do all the other stuff because they're not really, it's like adjunctive pediatric care. Like they're, they're getting all the stuff that they need to get done, uh, you know, when it's, when it's covered and then they'll, they'll spend the, the extra money that they've saved or whatever to come to see me talk about just like all those sorts of things. Like I have this very long list of questions about how does, does my child need to be taking a probiotic? What, uh, what's the, the best, uh, um, you know, it's fourth food to introduce. What's the, like, you know, just all, all sorts of little questions all over the place. How do I best, um, uh, approach, you know, uh, vaccines, uh, dare I bring it up? Vaccine, vaccines, <laughs> sure. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and I, I, I don't know if we're going to get into it in this call, by the way, but I, <laughs> I will, maybe we'll do that another time, but I will say that you, so you do do a vaccine workshop where you even yes, go into yep. that in detail because it, it's, oh, a, yes. well, it's, it's a lot such to talk a complicated about. subject, which is why I giggled. And when we talked about this even beforehand, I giggled that it's very, it's a very hard thing for me to talk about in a short time frame because it's, it's very complicated. And I'm, I'm certainly not, neither like like most good scientists, I would say I'm not pro nor anti. I'm just uh, I consider myself a holistically rational. Let's put it that way. And I like to look at the um, some of the. Mm, I'm not well. Ugh, it's so easy for me to go off on those tangents, but I do. I, I teach a two-hour class on it where I basically talk as fast as I'm talking right now for two hours, and <laughs> and it's still I feel like you know is is difficult to to get all of the sort of nuance of that in. But yeah, I see a lot of folks. I mean, specifically for that, who will come to me for. Uh, like a vaccine consultation, like what, what, you know, how, how can you help me sort of navigate this issue? I feel like it's, you know, too, too crazy and, and, and controversial and complex and political and all these things for me to get a, a good factual understanding. So yeah, I definitely need that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now, and what about too, like all of the, I just, I mean, I feel like for the past six years, our pediatrician has been or and, and you too, because <laughs> my, my my daughters are coming in on speed dial for just like the just the array of horrifying things you get when you start school for the first time. Like this year yeah. in class, we've had like strep. I mean, we haven't caught all this stuff, by the way, but there's been strep and lice and you know hand, foot, and mouth and pinworm. It's like so. Do you treat all of <laughs> these? Is there a naturopathic? Yeah, you're laughing. Is there a naturopathic <laughs> approach? To those things there's as always, well. There's always an naturopathic approach, and I will, in, in the sense that 
we there's always something that we can try. And I would argue that even conventional meds fall under a naturopathic approach if they're being applied properly. Um, so, I mean, like, I think antibiotics are great. I just think they're ridiculously overused, but they're a great tool, and I would not want to live in a world without them. So it's, you know, it, although we might eventually hear. Um, but, scary, but um, yeah, that's uh, another show. That's another show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, but in terms of, you know, most of those things, yes. And uh, and even, even you know, uh, in cases where I feel like, the standard of care conventional approach in this country at this time is the appropriate response. It still always uh, has a, I don't know, sort of a, a nuance to it that's a little different. Like, uh, yes, I think this antibiotic is actually appropriate right now, but I really also want you to, A, take this probiotic and in this way and at this time and for this long afterwards. And I want you to, uh, you know, the, the antibiotic is only going to kill a lot of them. It's not going to completely wipe it out. Your immune system still has to do some mopping up. And ideally, to prevent any sort of, you know, post-inflammation, we should probably also do X. So it, it all of those things you've listed, yes, I, there is a non-conventional approach to them. Um, it's not always the appropriate one in an acute situation. A lot of times it is, but sometimes a conventional med is more appropriate acutely, but with with caveats. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> and I'm sure you see a lot. And you also, you have two young kids of your own, too. So, mm -hmm. yep, I've I, seen all those things you just said. <laughs> it's tough living in LA. That, I mean, and that brings me to, you know, our clothes, which I, I love to talk about you for a couple minutes. And so, like, how are you doing this all? Um, <laughs> attending births, having two small children, taking podcasts late at night, <laughs> seeing all these, you know, being all of these things. Like, do you feel like there's balance in your life and how is it for you having, how is it for you having this like deep love of nature and human evolution, but also living in like LA, which can sometimes feel oh, like the pre-apocalypse. Like yeah. I've had like 12 answers to what you just said. So I'm going to yeah. do my best. To, so one answer is that like all of us, I just, I mean, you know, one foot in front of the other. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know how I, I barely controlled chaos, but it is, it is, you know, like, you know, that's life. It's, beautiful and exciting and, and, and crazy. And I just have to, you know, I get caught up in it too, just like anybody else, the, the, the stressful nature of it all. But, um, but I, I, but then on the other hand, I look at other people who are doing crazy. I mean, just this morning, I was a midwife is often doing all this amazing work around the world. And one of, I mean, there's people who we all have people that we're like, oh my gosh, how are they doing that? <laughs> so, and they probably look at, who knows, maybe the circle comes complete and they look at somebody else that was looking at us that way and say, how are they doing that? So we all have the, you know, a lot of crazy stuff we're dealing with. And I'm, uh, for better or for worse, as a personality that's always like, well, I could be doing more. So I have to balance that because it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a loud voice and I'm learning much better to, uh, I have to, I mean, I had kids. And they forced it. Like, I was like, I can't say yes to everything anymore. Most of the time I have to say yes. So it's, it's a, it's a, you know, who knows? It's a balancing act. I have to, I have to remind myself to do the little things and, and, uh, but, you know, who knows if I'm doing it right. Uh, <laughs> um, and the other answer to your question about living in LA with, you know, nature and all that, I never thought I would end up in LA, to be quite honest. I was in uh, the Pacific Northwest uh, when I was doing my, all my, you know, um, medical study and, my husband moved down here for, for uh, uh, professional reasons, and uh, I was to follow him a year because I hadn't finished my residency yet. I was going to come down after, and uh, I was like, I don't know, 
And when I came down the first time, he took me to, I think it was Tanga State Park and then some other places. And I was like, but this is like in the city. I was like, oh, okay. So there's some nature here. It's not just a horrible sprawl of, of concrete. And, you know, I've been here now 10 years and I, I find lots of things to love in it. I mean, we do have a little, uh, will be eternally fixer upper cabin up in the San Bernardinos that we escape to whenever we can so that I get to shoo my children out into the woods and, you know, uh, have that, have that too. Um, but, uh, oh, that sounds yeah, glorious. <laughs> yeah, we, we sort of made a compromise. We're like, we're just going to be LA renters and San Bernardino tiny cabin buyers. <laughs> that's wait, that's so, our plan. I, wait, I got to talk to you after. <laughs> yeah. So how often, how often do you actually go to that cabin? Well, my husband gets up there more than I do. I would do Part of the problem is that, you know, I see patients sometimes on Saturdays and I'm, I'm on call, so I can't, uh, you know, midwives or it's, although we bought one that was specifically within like, it depends on the traffic, but an hour to an hour and a half. So if I really had to get back for an emergency, like there were two women in labor at the same time. So even though I'm not on call, I got to get back. Um, it would be doable, but, uh, but I get, but it's still, I make a, a, a priority to get up there about once a month. And then my husband gets up there a little more often because like I say, eternally fixer upper, which is kind of his thing. <laughs> He's trying to, it, it's, a, you know, there's always another project. So he gets up a little more, but, um, at least once a month, um, which is, you know, not as much as I'd like, but more than, uh, but not too bad. <laughs> Good for you. That's amazing. Well, the the next time you have a little more downtime, I'd love if you would come back on the show. <laughs> I don't know if that's laughing like this was fun or laughing like, ha ha ha, try to catch me. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was the, 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 you can catch me because I, I, once I get going, I like talking about this stuff, obviously, but I am, I mean, I have a, I have a, ooh, you know what, here, I'll say this because I have this, uh, have this this sort of dream that's been percolating and I'll, every time I say it, I feel like it, you know, it, it, it compels me to, to actually work on it more, which is that I have, have this dream of being a naturopathic doctor teaching in a conventional medical school, um, the like fresh faced, like young MDs to like make it, you know, make a bigger, I love teaching, I love talking, obviously. And I, I love to like make it, but that doesn't exist. Like that's not really a thing. So I'm like, how am I going to make that happen? But if, uh, so you can catch me. It's just the, the, the comment about downtime. I'm like, it won't be downtime. You'll have to, like, you know, we plan it far in advance and I put it on my calendar and it's, you know, <laughs> but we can make it happen. And it was fun. Glad to hear it. And I love that idea. I think that's brilliant. And I think that's what the, you know, medical profession really, really needs. And you are the messenger for sure. Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> so, um, from, your, I- from your lips to, 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 Gods and UCLA president's ears. <laughs> yeah, just keep just keep saying it. Just keep saying exactly. it. Um, so where can where can people stay in touch with you, Michelle? Are you on social media? Where tell us about your website? Right. Your so, anything else uh, you're working on? Cool. So yes. Yeah. Uh, so there's my just sort of general basic website, which is my name, basically just Michelle Gerber ND dot com. Um, I don't update as much as I should, but it's uh, it's it's semi updatable, <laughs> semi updated, and certainly all the like locations of where I am at and um, and you know, when my classes are and things like that, that's all on there. And then my naturopathic practice is outside of a, or sorry, inside of a, a clinic, um, called the Graceful Birth and Family Center, which is in Silver Lake. And, uh, the Graceful website with two L's, like Grace and then the second word full, um, it, but no spaces or anything. It's just all one word, but you go. Um, and we'll put links on the website, by the way. Brilliant. Um, that's an amazing place where, you know, it's a birth center downstairs and there's class classes that are all sorts of classes that are held upstairs and uh, mommy support groups and uh, uh, um, uh, trauma uh, um, uh, support groups and just all sorts of really good stuff. And then some practitioners like myself and 
uh, um, uh, women in pregnancy focused chiropractor and all sorts of uh, acupuncturists and many lovely folks are, are in that uh, in that space. And that's uh, a website where you can find out all about that and all those classes and groups and things. Um, and my midwifery uh, practice is uh, part of TLC Midwifery. I work with an amazing midwife, Baby Kalsa, and that is uh, TLC uh, TLC. Ooh, no wait. Mm. They changed that website. And I'll get it to you exactly, but I believe it's clcmidwife.com. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll get that for your, uh, <laughs> for your link thingamajiggity. It will um, be, everything will be up on the, on the website right. so people can go see you. And, and do you take out of state patients? Well, no, you can't because you're California certified, right? Right, right? Yeah, right exactly. That's a, it, once, I mean, naturopathic doctors are, are becoming, uh, there are some states where naturopathic doctors are still not licensed. Did you know we were not licensed in California until 2000, I think it was four or five, six, something like that? That's insane. Like we've been licensed, like officially licensed in Oregon since like, I don't know, 51 or something. So it's, Whoa. Uh, yeah, California took a long time. It's very bureaucratic. It's a, it's a you know, progressive state in a lot of ways, thank goodness, but it's also like huge and the wheels turn slowly and it's a, it's a bit of a thing. So, um, so yeah, we're uh, we're licensed state by state, but every year new states get added, and there's always a push. And hopefully, one of these days it'll finally happen to just have national, uh, you know, licensure, and then that won't matter so much. But um, I do still sometimes see folks um, in sort of a. It, it has to be more of like a health advisory sort of role, not so much like I'm diagnosing your condition, which I wouldn't really be that interested in doing from you know a distance anyway. But you know, people can contact me and we can see, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm able to make, you know, certain, certain, um, certain things happen in terms of out of state. Okay, wonderful. And it, sorry, are you on social media or no? Uh, Graceful is and I am through them. But personally, I am terrible. And, and, uh, <laughs> oh, please. I, I've been, yeah, I've been on social me- media hiatus all summer. So <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. I just wanted to ask because I know people are going to hear this and want to ask you questions. But so I'll, the best way to get in touch with you is through your website then, right? Yep, absolutely. Yep, there's a contacting there and my email's on there too. And you can just, you know, add to the add to the torrent of emails and I will absolutely get to them. I always do. So <laughs> You do, you do. Thank you, Michelle. This has been so much fun. I hope you'll come back. Very welcome. I would love to. Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you again for tuning into the Uncivilized Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, I'd be so grateful if you'd subscribe on iTunes and I promise the show will be up on a few other platforms soon. And I also just want to take a moment to thank all of you who have subscribed so far. I'm really just blown away by how many of you have and by the support uh, this show has gotten so far just a month after our launch. I will be coming out with my first newsletter soon. That will only be once a month, I promise, since I am a big fan of not bombarding people with emails. Um, So if you're interested in that, head on over to my website. That's at jennifergrayson.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to subscribe. The music you are listening to is by Paul Damien Hogan. That is it for me. And I will see you next Monday with a new episode of the Uncivilized Podcast.